0: Hi, everybody. This is Katie and my brother, Stefan, and we're here um, with episode 28 of A Little More Free. Um, We are not joined by Larkin today because she is taking a much needed mental health break, (laughs) you know, time off break from her crazy um, 60 plus hour a week schedule at the wine lab. And this is her one day off. She's been working six days a week, so um, so I have asked my brother to co-anchor with me um, as needed to give Larkin a break and let her also enjoy her juicy new relationship. Which I know that's how that is. <laughs> I am excited to have you with me because, for years, it has always been—it was supposed to be you doing all of this stuff, not me. <laughs> not necessarily podcasting, but you know, you were going to be the one with the YouTube channel. <laughs> you were going to be the one <laughs> because, you know, a, you're a very um, entertaining person when you get out of your own way. You're the one who always like entertains us during family gatherings with some funny, hilarious story. Everyone is always like, Stefan, tell the story of sinking the boat. <laughs> um, to the point that when you actually um, left a regular job and we're sort of starting to look for, you know, what is the next step? Um, you got feedback. Now, what you, so you went to, you, you had a, like a, I don't know, maybe a month or two of therapy sessions with my old therapist, Paula Markham, before she retired. And she uh, started a process with you about sort of like inquiring within or without by asking people, you know, about direction and stuff can you I don't don't remember exactly how she framed it (laughs) because you asked each of us like what am I good at or I don't even remember
1: yeah I think that was it you know basically she suggested that I ask the people who are close to me and know me the best what they think I'm good at okay and uh,
0: and we all told you storytelling
1: I guess that's right isn't it yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, so I, I thought about, um, not just thought about, but I kind of decided that I would give it a shot. And I, I bought a, a MacBook Pro so that I had enough you know, <laughs> capacity <laughs> to do video editing. And I, I actually made a couple little movies. Um, I started off with one about who am I? Mm. You know, it's not such an easy question to answer when you really stop and think about it. Yeah, no doubt. How do you answer that question? You know, where do you start? It's ridiculous. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't feel like I have very put a lot of energy into it, or really felt like it was something that would ever pan out for me. I mean, there have been crazy ideas like put a motor on it. Yeah, where I could be filming different projects where, you know, I put motors on crazy things like whatever or go around and video other people's motorized objects and post these things on YouTube and eventually over time have enough content that, you know, something would happen. Yeah, yeah um but you know i never went anywhere with that i did buy the rights to put a motor on it.com which has done me no good <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know it's like i you know i feel like these ideas get sort of spun around like year after year and they sort of keep cycling back around so, so you know there's something to it if you keep coming back to something over and over again there's probably something there but it's like you haven't like some key that you need to unlock it to turn it into something real. Hasn't really happened yet. And
1: Well, and it may be that it's, there's something there, but it's not, you know, not the thing you think it might be. I mean, for me, I've been a motorhead all my life. I mean, I've just been, yeah, you know.
0: From the time we were little, actually from the very earliest, I'm going to tell a story. From the time you were two, they tell stories of you seeing magazine photos of cars and like earnestly like pressing your chubby little foot onto the page going, get in there, get in there. <laughs> it was
2: like you wanted it so bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then years later, it was like one thing after another it's, you, you know, you cannibalized our roller skates to create the the rumble bug, which is like a cart with no brakes and barely any steering that you can roll ride down the hill. Yeah. Uh, and and on and on. Um, yeah. But and you know, I do feel like you, you know, that sort of mechanical inclination, sort of more broadly, you know, you have worked with that. That's been you know you like you know you've done a lot of work in which you are solving problems and building things you know concrete physical things yeah and engineering solutions and da 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 da, da you know for decades you've been doing that
1: yeah
0: <clears throat> but i do feel like there's this way that like when you know you get an idea like so the irony of me being the one with the podcast and you being the one i'm like bringing on as my guest <laughs> you know given given our history of you being the stand up comedian in the family like <laughs> i i think that there's something about when when you get an idea that like oh this is what it's supposed to be And then suddenly it gets built up and there's like all this like expectation and gets built up more and more and more that you almost like short yourself out and then you can't even begin, you know, and like, I, I didn't have an aspiration of becoming like some great podcaster. Well, I I didn't expect that much of myself.
1: I guess I got to a place where I, I asked the question what is it that I have to say that anybody wants to listen to, you know, and I just, I feel like there's so many other people out there who are brilliant in all kinds of ways.
2: Mm.
1: And, you know, what is it that, I just didn't feel like I had anything to add.
0: Right. So you you decided for everyone, you made the unilateral decision. (laughs) That there was nothing pretty much that you had to say I mean, that you, you was know, worth anyone listening to.
1: I, I think I could do something like you know motor dot com, which you know there's always room for another Motorhead show. Yeah. Ask anybody who watches reality TV about you, yeah. you know car restoration or whatever. Once they're done with the series, they'll look for the next series. Mm-hmm. So you know I think there there is a possibility there, but I think when it comes to you know, maybe more cerebral topics or um, things like that. I got to leave it to Krista Tippett or, you know, people who are much smarter than I am.
0: (laughs) So the people who who you like to sermonize to are going to be amused at that.
1: (laughs) Sermonize? You're, you're saying I mean I do have a tendency to get on a soapbox sometimes but
0: yes yes I mean you know when when one becomes wise you know we we do want to dispel or share our wisdom but no I'm just saying you know that's I mean and that I mean I guess the thing is do you have to be Krista Tippett to have a voice that's valuable
1: I guess not you know
0: do I, we have to be all be Terry Gross or or even Joe Rogan yeah. right like you know I, I don't think we would put him in the same category as Krista Tippett and
1: Joe's a pretty smart guy
0: oh yes and he's good at what he does
1: yeah, I mean I think one of the things that he does is he brings people uh, into a forum that's got broad exposure i mean they say he's now
0: t- he does yeah but he didn't start out with that
1: well he started out What i mean he was just a, shooting, a the, shooting the
0: crap with his friends yeah 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 as a stand-up comedian i mean he, yeah he's
1: a brilliant comedian he
0: is yeah. oh my gosh yeah. you you actually were the one that turned me on to him because and it was that one it was his routine the one that ends with him upside down on the stool. Oh talking god. about the alien queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my god. The
1: physicality of that <laughs> was just amazing.
0: It was, but it was also the whole mental psychic, like, yeah.
3: what? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I mean... And
0: I, so, cause this is a thing, it's like, I mean, I think this is a question that is, I keep circling back around too, because, you know, we started this podcast and we we're nobody and we, we have a very small audience and like, what is the point? And is it worth something? And I keep intuitively feeling like, yes, it's worth something there's some process that happens when you have a conversation Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and when you share it with the world, you're kind of inviting like the, that third, you know, the, the other, the mystery, Mm -hmm. the witness into the conversation. And then you allow a process to happen that, you know, it has a magic of its own. And it, so if you sort of surrender to that, then Will yield something you don't know what. Yeah, something probably cool. Well, the moth,
1: I think, is a great example of of that. You know, oh, that the whole idea that being willing to be vulnerable in sharing our stories, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, it's it's a, a two way street. There's there's the speaker, and then there's the listener,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and somehow. Um, there's a there's a mutually beneficial result from sharing the story and being heard. Mm-hmm. And then and listening and, and learning about other people's experiences that helps us see ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And my latest pet theory is that, you know, since AIs are listening to
1: everything now,
0: and I mean. know,
1: mostly to make money. I mean, you know, if you're going to put an AI on, I mean, who knows, maybe the FBI is listening for, you know, whatever. The the NSA's (laughs) AI. We're not very interesting.
0: (laughs) But, 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 you know, YouTube's AI is always listening to all the video content and reading it and scanning it. Right. And, you know, Google's AI is always listening to, you know, scanning the internet and, and reading and digesting content. and and, you know, I mean, Elon Musk, um, I, it hasn't gotten recorded, I think, on any podcast, but one of my things was the realization that Elon Musk has this like huge fear of unregulated AI, especially in the in the hands of like private corporations simply because AI is getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And and he thinks it's the greatest danger we face more than ecological crisis and Mm -hmm. all of that. Anyway, my little pet theory is, I want to contribute my voice to what the AI is learning about humanity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to contribute other voices to that process, to that weaving of, you know, and I mean, hopefully, I mean, uh, you know, obviously if someone had really sinister intent, that would be one thing. But if it's just a matter of like, there's this big powerful thing loose in our ecosystem, you know, I think um, I wanna add, I wanna add a voice to the, to the mix, you
1: know? Well, and you could also take this a similar sentiment You know, if you pull AI out of the picture, right? isn't there a value in, you know, adding an ingredient to the mix that, that tastes good, Mm
2: -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm.
1: adding a kind of energy to the content that's out there. There's so much content out there, but really a lot of it doesn't, doesn't elicit a kind of uh, reaction or or feeling that, you know, something I want. So you know, being the thing that you want to see happen, right? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I I never felt like I was going to get much of anywhere. There's so many people that are, you know, way more talented than me and have way better computer skills, and you know, I I just felt very far behind the curve on it all. I didn't put a whole lot of energy into it. I needed a new computer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yes. A good, uh, the good good excuse for getting what you need. I mean, I don't know. I mean, but you you can't like write that shit, write that all off. I mean, you know, here you are. Now you're sitting in the seat with me. And and actually, interestingly, you and Larkin both have. Taurus son in the seventh house and that was one of her insights was that realizing that she does so much better when she's working either in dialogue with someone or in community like uh, that doing it alone does not work yeah for her. no i
1: feel like that has been the way my whole life i mean i'm much better on a team than i am
0: on my own
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah yeah so out you out there by yourself creating content like no yeah it never would <laughs> be so boring i kept
1: bouncing up against it and thinking you know
0: <laughs> yeah i mean even the put a motor on it kind of projects those would be a million times more fun if you had like randall
1: oh yeah and michael yeah <laughs> you know,
0: get jason get involved jason, yeah. And, yeah I know. yeah so well i do like Again, I just think that there is something to be said for um, lowering the stakes. <laughs> Which is what I did for myself with this podcast. I'm like, I have no um, like overt intention to monetize it. I'm not trying to leverage it to become something. Like I'm not, you know, it's not part of a marketing strategy for myself. I mean, ultimately, I hope it goes somewhere like concrete, you know, <laughs> right. but that, like, that freed me to kind of just see, well, what is it, you know, what is yeah. here? And because I felt like there was something and I don't know. I mean, I probably have issues with, you know, competition and like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's
3: yeah, a little I mean, more
1: complicated
0: for me. I'm sure
1: it's easy to to very quickly put a lot of pressure on yourself, and yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah.
0: So actually, we you were out here a couple of weeks ago, and we had recorded a whole podcast, and like most of the audio just disappeared. It was quite sad. But the reason that we started, we started recording, we weren't going to, but we just, we did is that you started talking about some things that I thought were interesting. And they sort of actually relate to this whole notion of like what to do now that a regular job you know, is done and, that, and sort of being in a transition zone and trying to figure out what, what's next. And it was the insight about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I, want, I wanted you to like share that again because that didn't get recorded, sadly.
1: Well, I don't remember exactly how we were talking about it, but I do remember feeling like a lot of the last few years of my life have been spent doing what Maslow talks about at the kind of upper levels of the pyramid. And, you know, the bottom layer being just your basic needs like food, shelter and blah, blah, blah. But when you get up, I think it's the, the step before the top, okay, which is self-actualization.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right. I have to pause this. Okay. I'm going to share my screen really quick to show this.
1: So you see at the very top, self-transcendence is like the pinnacle. Yeah. And just below that is self-actualization. Um, you, you know, the, depending on where you look, sometimes the pyramid has self-actualization as the top. As
0: the top. I always thought it was. Ah.
1: Well, I, ah. I guess, you know, where. right,
0: so for the audio people, the base of the pyramid is physiological, meaning breathing, food... Yeah water sex they're putting sex at the at the foundation of the pyramid people that is profound pretty
1: basic need dude we really we need it yeah
0: all right um sleep homeostasis and excretion i'm sorry i think you can get along without (laughs) sex for your whole life but you cannot get along without excretion breathing (laughs) sleep food water All right. So then the next is safety, security of body, employment, resources, morality, the family, health, and property. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then then you have love and belonging, (coughs) friendship, family, and sexual intimacy, which those are different than having a family and being secure that's like that deeper, like, you know, having real friends, you know, having relationships that are deep and heart-centered and fulfilling. And then above that is esteem, self-esteem, confidence, achievement, the respect of others. Oh, respect by others and respect maybe for others is what that's supposed to be. And then near the top of the pyramid, and I always thought this was the top, is self-actualization, which is, oh, but they describe it differently. Morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem solving, discovery, acceptance of facts, and contribution. That's awesome, I love that. Um, and then self-transcendence is, I think, what a lot of people would think of as enlightenment truth spirit consciousness and being unconditional love hmm well very cool all right
1: you know so if you look at click on another one the self actualization definition shifts around it depends on where you look and who you ask Um,
0: all right so
2: You know,
1: here in in that example, it's showing it as achieving one's full potential.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. The self-actualization. And I've always thought of it as that, you know, self-actualization is sort of the same as self-realization is sort of the same as enlightenment. It's like you become a complete and whole human being able to access all the potential that a human being has
1: right yeah i guess that could be interpreted that way um, anyway we're not screen sharing
0: anymore okay <laughs> um anyway so you were you were so you were saying
1: yeah i mean i, I guess I, I feel like on a career front um you know, if if my peers were to take a look at what I've been doing, they might kind of think I'm not doing so well. I mean, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've really been bouncing around. I haven't been adding a lot to my 401k, um, you know, but I have been-
0: You did build and sell a house.
1: Yeah but, but I, I have been spending most of my time and energy directed in the, the self-actualization realm mm-hmm. and, you know, going after the things that really call to me and um, not doing the things that I feel like I quote unquote should be doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. It's, a uh, it's kind of a curious position to be in. I mean, I, I don't know how sustainable it's for me to keep, keep doing it like this. Because, you know, there is some reality to um, the need to, you know, be salting away something for retirement. And yeah. at this point in my life, I should be making probably the most I've ever made. Right. You know,
0: right. At the peak of your yeah. income earning potential. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, you know, I've, I've been going after things like building the motorcycle, which had been a dream of mine for, you know, what, 10 years. Yeah. And I finally just said, I'm doing this mm-hmm. and ordered the materials and, and built the damn thing. Right. You know? Um, anyway.
0: And I mean, you know, it's, I, I do feel like it's probably a delicate balance and it depends on the day as to whether you're feeling like this is great. And you're so lucky to be, have the, have the, have the privilege to be able to be making choices based on a higher calling versus feeling like, uh, I need to be doing something more practical what the heck am I doing I don't know I don't I I I shouldn't speak for you but I I know that's true for me
1: well I feel like you know I spent a good 20 years doing the thing that you're supposed to do you know I had this stressful job and I was the, the breadwinner and you know I was the one who would stay till midnight Mm. to get something done. And, you know, pretty much it took all my energy. Mm. And on the weekends, I kind of did a little recovering Mm. and maybe took care of some of my own project needs Mm. and then went back on Monday morning and did it again. Yeah. And that was a couple decades of my life. And when that period of my life ended, I really felt like I had kind of come to a different place with what's acceptable and what's not acceptable for me. Mm. And I felt like I really didn't want to get back into that kind of dynamic anymore, where I was just giving all of my life energy to make somebody else wealthy. And you know um, what I've done is more of this kind of gig economy type thing where, working for myself. I've got a contractor's license. You know, I didn't um, have any trouble keeping myself busy for the last five years Mm -hmm. because I know a lot of people in this area and word of mouth kind of worked and I've been able to work and and take time off. And, um, you know, I, I spent a bunch of time at the old place last summer mm-hmm. which was one of the best things i've ever done yeah um I you've
0: did, been able to travel out to
1: i've spent a lot new of time mexico. traveling to new mexico um, you know
0: to be with your lady ladies
1: la- it's la- not la- single la- <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, and even now, like you have, you just finished a really cool little contract. Um, I mean, pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool doing contract? welding. there was wow. no contract. Not a contract but Yeah. I, I'm using that loosely. <laughs> yeah. A good friend
1: of mine has a business you know, doing structural steel work and he needed help. So I jumped in with him for a couple of months and doing welding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause you're a pretty damn good welder.
1: Well, I don't know about that, but I, I, uh, it was fun. We had, a, we had a nice time.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, he started out doing art metal fabrication, right?
1: He, he actually started off in Switzerland. He, he did the apprentice program for um, metal roofing, mm. and he came to the U.S. as a, as a, a roofer.
0: Vass yeah. I thought he went to high school with y'all
1: he was maybe five years ahead of me in high school okay um oh, so
0: then he went off to Switzerland yeah. did that and came back
1: yeah
0: interesting
1: yeah
3: wait so...
1: so he was probably three years ahead of you or two years ahead of you you were three years ahead of me okay okay
0: yeah, yeah he was I remember for years he was doing like copper wind chimes and stuff. <laughs> At least that was my impression. I didn't know what he did for his bread and butter.
1: Yeah. Roofing um, was his bread and butter. It was. I mean, okay. the bird feeders, you know, they actually made the Smithsonian. Um, they were like, they've, they've gotten some pretty high high really? recognition for that. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Does yeah. he have a website?
1: He does. It's a really nice website. What's it called? com.
0: V A S S V A U G H T
1: V A S S E.
0: Oh, yeah, V A U G H T Uh metal crafting. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and so, but this was like a more industrial kind of like you guys were retrofitting. There was a a a renovation
1: of a 1918 bank building downtown Roanoke. It's one of the last buildings downtown that hasn't been renovated or completed yet and it was shut down during the pandemic and when they got it back online there was a, a super push to get it done mm-hmm. and he needed help kind of going quicker than yeah. he had planned. So. yeah anyway it worked out i had a hole in my schedule and so it was it was great yeah i needed the work and he needed help and
2: yeah
1: you know yeah i got to do something different than I've been doing for a few years. So it's nice.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely like, if I compare you and me in the gig economy, you are definitely making more dollars than I am.
1: Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> I mean, working, I, you know, you, you, you had a really sweet deal, um, but it wasn't working for you at some level. And yeah. um you felt it seemed like it was tearing up your body and maybe that was kind of a psychosomatic response to it must have some of the partially the stress about dealing with whatever anyway yeah you know I, i mean i thought you had a nice a nice gig going
0: i did i did for a little while there
1: Able to work from home, pick and choose your hours, and kind of, you know, that's a
0: pretty light schedule, all uh, things considered. uh, (laughs) I mean, I remember at one point going, Boy, a 10 hour week is really almost too much. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like I've become a little spoiled and I just love being home. So it's also hard, you know, kind of get my mind in another zone. But anyway. Just sort of, like, com- thinking about, like, because I'm in the gig economy, too, and I still have some clients. I still do a little bit here and there, but, you know, I guess it's it's different for everyone, but there's a lot of us doing it.
1: I mean, even Alden's doing it. Alden my my daughter, it. who's 21 years old, yeah, she's still in, in college, and for the last almost year, she's been on her own. Working for herself. Right.
0: As a virtual um, assistant. Working from
1: home. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, actually making not too bad money for someone her age.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And with that, I mean, it's, but it's, it's tricky because on the one hand, it's great to have the flexibility and to, you know, and it, you know, in her case, she's, you know, making a decent hourly wage not wage but rate but you know you don't have the security you certainly don't have a company paying your health insurance and guaranteeing you hours and yeah. you know that's that social safety net is it's weird because it's like it's both thin and thick i don't know how to really explain what i mean by
1: that no it really impacts things like you know am i going to take on a mortgage you know if you don't have security it's uh it's something to really think about
0: yeah yeah and planning for the future you know like what does that even look like anymore for us like our generation and younger i feel like the calculus has changed a lot you know i mean what does retirement even look like i don't even know (laughs) i mean i you know are you going to retire you know it's like I if, hope so if you win Tomorrow, the lottery I'm ready <laughs> if your genius plan works out then <laughs> we'll all be sailing to Aruba you know <laughs> anyway
1: you know Uncle Dennis he just moved out of his his office at the law firm okay and dad was telling me that he has worked there his whole career That was his first job and his last job.
2: Amazing. 59 years. That's crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mandatory retirement age for the firm was 65.
0: Okay.
2: And
1: he kept finding ways to stay on because, you know.
0: (laughs) What are you going to do?
1: Sit around? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he, anyway. But that's so rare, right? Well, in today's day and age, it's pretty much unheard of. They say that people last... Two, three, five years, and then they're on to something else. Yeah. And most of the people I know bouncing around. You know?
0: And now everyone is trying to become a content creator. Had <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'm glad I wasn't trying to, like, you know, earn a living at podcasting because it's like, it's very crowded. (laughs) And, you know, I think that, I don't know. There's the part about it that I do think is worth doing, no matter what your um, career goals are, is the part that has to do with like participating, you know, like being a part of the Mm -hmm. conversations. Like I almost feel like, you know, You need to be a content creator to participate more and more.
1: I see your point. You know, um,
0: not that that's the only place that life happens. That's another thing. Life also happens other places than online. Yes, it does.
3: (laughs) Thank God, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so, so toward that
0: end, you and I are going to, in a little while, try to fly the drone here.
1: Well, we can fly. I think the question is, do we have all the information about how to capture video? A video? Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So if we succeed today, there will be video footage right here.
2: <laughs> oh, oh god. <laughs> See how little room we have?
0: Yes. But you have to land it not on the gravel, I think. Don't land it on the gravel.
2: Oh,
0: god. Why am I Be- no, don't land it on the, because the- if it tips over, you want to get it under the lawn. Oh god. That's why I mowed it yeah, this oh, morning. <laughs> So I think we broke the drone I also didn't get any video footage Because I kept hitting record But not being in record mode So we both Apparently Suck Suck at flying drones (laughs) So I did that And I did it up in that tree And then we changed all the propellers, and then Stefan flew it into that tree, and then into that tree again. <laughs>
1: and then I bounced it off the rocks. Oh, yes.
0: And, and wait, are we saying it's broken and dead?
1: I think it's dead. The, the, the autopilot what? on it won't doesn't do its thing. It's supposed to hover oh, and stay yeah. put, and it won't do that. And
0: it won't do that? No. Well... Good thing this thing was a gift, rather than a purchase. <laughs> My review.
1: <laughs> Dude, it <laughs> didn't do anything wrong. That was totally us. I knew we shouldn't fly it here, and, and I didn't listen to that. Well. It was way too tight a spot, and we're too fucking green. We are really green. (laughs) I couldn't uh,
0: even keep it together when it started to head towards the tree. I panicked. I I didn't have any evasive moves. Very
1: easy to do. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Maybe we ought to Google how to fix my broken drone. Well, I crashed my drone. Now what? What the
0: fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Before I let you go, I wanted you to tell me how it is that you went from a kid who couldn't stand to talk about feelings or spirituality or anything that was not concrete (laughs) or like tangible that you could see in touch with your hands. I mean, you had a, like an allergy to that, how you went from that to being kind of a, I would call you a thoughtful philosopher type of, you know, you're you're still very mechanically competent you know you still work with your hands and do all the stuff but i would call you the philosopher's version of that (laughs) like how did that happen
1: well i had an experience that um i guess i i can only really describe it as a a spiritual kind of experience. Um, You know, all through high school and and in my childhood, I was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. Mm -hmm. I didn't really worry about much of anything. And I didn't have a lot of fears about anything. And
0: you, you had plenty of friends. You were comfortable with yourself, as I recall.
1: Yeah, i mean pretty much i i felt um yeah I, I i had a didn't have a lot that i worried about and at the i guess it was in my the beginning of my senior year of high school i feel like um something really shifted
3: for me mm-hmm. and um I I began to see kind of the maybe the negative in all kinds of things. And I don't know. I I guess my
1: happy-go-lucky days felt like they kind of came to an end. And um, I've, I've really pulled away from
3: all my friends.
1: Um, I became a lot more serious. I, uh, you know, before, beforehand, I was pretty much headed on a, a track for destruction. I mean, my, my plan for after high school was something that was illegal.
0: Oh, just say it. Since you didn't do it, you can
1: say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. I think I know what it is. I don't want to say it. Oh, come on. But it was illegal. Oh, come on. And,
0: it was vagrant and wastrel. Uh-huh. Yeah. And,
1: and, you know, and, <laughs> and so I didn't end up doing that, which is a good it's thing. It's now legal. I would well, have, no, I would have ended up being in jail most likely. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, uh, i really turned myself to, to getting through school. Um, I mean, I was a bad student in high school, you know, I did grade up until like middle school. I yeah. was always A's and stuff. And then I guess all the social crap that had happened and testosterone happened. And, you know, I just didn't give a crap about school and um, my grades suffered, but, you know, oh my
0: gosh, I have to jump in. Yeah. Because my so my mom um, did this really cute project for Stefan, where she collected all of his old drawings and writings and some of them were school assignments, but also it included a collection of report cards all from along and then she scanned it all in and bound it up and made it a book. And she showed me some of it before while she was working on it. And I just started laughing constantly because it it, it did. It went from like B's and some A's to like D, D, you almost made, you almost didn't make it this year, (laughs) (laughs) Stefan, like notes from the teacher, D, D minus, like,
2: (laughs) it was crazy.
0: And so, you you know, really? but obviously it's not because you weren't smart.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I I had an SAT score. I don't remember what it was, but it was basically the score they give you for signing your name. Nice.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No. And, and so, you know, I was thinking, well, I'll go to tech. But tech was like, no, you're not coming here for <laughs> those grades. So... You know, I, I had to retake the SAT, and I, I took all these study guides and practiced, and I got my score up to, you know, something that was passable. I don't remember what it was. And was it over 1,000? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Um, I think it was an 1140, and this was back before they changed the scale, so that's better than it is today. <laughs> an 1140 today would be pretty bad, and it's probably horrible. But you got to realize where I came from. I know that's pretty good. Uh, No. You you had, what, like one shy of a perfect score?
0: No, not even close. I had a 1300. I got a 660 and a 640. And that was with no studying. However, um, I didn't take any of the tests. I didn't do SAT. I
1: studied. (laughs) So, you know, I finally got into college at Radford. And, you know, I was making... I think I made the dean's list four semesters in or four, you know, two years in a row. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm actually doing OK here. And uh, I thought that I was going to transfer to tech. And I did. And I hated tech and not anything about tech. It was probably more about I'm just wired up for a smaller school.
0: It's a pretty big school.
1: I just felt like a nobody you know one of my classes i had 800 students in we were in this we were in eight yeah, hundred. it was some insane how's that
0: even possible
2: i have no
1: idea anyway i i basically i did a year and then a part of a year a part of a semester and i just bailed out and um how, what are we ta- we're talking about oh, oh, wait, spirituality? So, yeah, here. how'd you
0: get to be spiritual so, and so, thoughtful you know, from being
1: a, I, I w- I a went from being a crazy hooligan, man. total dropout, lameoid? You know, I was having fun, but I was not doing anything useful, <laughs> and I feel like the world kind of grabbed me and said, "You will now be a serious person," <laughs> you know? and, and and I quit doing all that crazy stuff and. Um, focused on school, and I guess over several years, I kind of got back into being a little less serious. Especially, you know, one of the things that that really brought me back to being a kid again, in some ways, was having a, a kid. Oh yeah, Alden, being a kid.
3: How old were and, you when she was born?
1: Um, I was uh, I was thirty. Mm. And, um, you know, being around her during her childhood helped me kind of relive my own childhood. Mm -hmm. And I had a great childhood. Mm -hmm. It was so much fun.
2: Yeah.
1: So I had fun with her and it kind of helped me kind of come back out of that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I had gotten serious enough that the world was like, yeah, okay, you you can do that again. (laughs) How all this shit works, I don't know. You know. I will say that. Um,
0: so you kind of like I think what you were sort of saying, skirting around saying, is that you kind of got scared, both serious and spiritual, or at least you started to sort of look at the realm of spirit through that I've, hard last year of high school. It I was a hard like last
1: year. What happened to me? couldn't be explained by anything that i could understand
0: mm.
1: and it i guess opened to me the idea of something beyond me
0: and we've only alluded to it
1: i mean my my was- my grandfather was a very religious guy dad's dad he he was like an evangelical baptist minister right right he in fact was quite high in the church he was on the national level, he was in charge of evangelism. Yeah. And my aunt, who, you know, right. was married to mom's brother mm-hmm. was the Bishop for the Methodist Southeast conference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have these kind of religious um, influences in the family, but we never went to church. Mm-hmm. We never were encouraged or, you know, our parents didn't push us in any direction spiritually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I feel like the experience that I had opened me to questioning Mm -hmm. in a way that i never had before. Mm -hmm. What else there is in this world? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm still not somebody who really gets into organized religion much. Um, I think the story of Jesus is, is a, is a great story. Um, you know, I think. So,
0: I just before we go on, I just had wanted to say for the audience that there's more to this story of about that last year of high school. And we're not gonna go into it like in detail here now, but you know, it was um it was a real time and you
1: know it was yeah, it impacted me a lot. I I ultimately I feel like it led to precipitated changes in me that were necessary mm-hmm. or that were ultimately beneficial because mm-hmm. I wasn't headed in a good direction. Mm-hmm. And you know how and why and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how to talk about that even.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm.
1: I think that you know these days, I'm pretty keenly aware that there are things about this world that I'm not able to put a finger on and explain. Mm-hmm. I can talk them up about them a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but. I think there's, there's more of this world than we see, mm-hmm. you know, some people call it God and religion is kind of woven around those ideas. And, you know, there's a bunch of different religions. I don't see myself as a very religious person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that the teachings of Jesus are good. <laughs>
0: you know, but, yeah. Um, and I mean, in addition to that, there's the whole psychic dimension of human experience and like, what do you, you know, what do you make of that? What are your experiences of that? And I think for some people, they don't necessarily go hand in hand with their spiritual and religious beliefs. You know, um, when you Uncle Joe s- passed over and came to me in a dream and it was as, as vivid as as anything, you know. For some people, that is a part of their religious beliefs, mm. and for others, it isn't. Mm. And you know, um, and those sort of sort of supernatural kind of experiences, you know, sort of what do you make of them? Like, you never had to to even you never were curious at all <laughs> as a kid. Mm. Whereas I think I was always I, well, no. When we were little, I was I wasn't interested in that kind of stuff per se. I mean, we would hear ghost stories. Remember the ghost of Talachow? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but other than that, it was just sort of a passing thing. And it wasn't until I got into my teens that I got really more very interested in metaphysics. But um, beyond that, like just even like i think that one of the things that happened that i've noticed that happened to you as a result of all of this and the process of aging and whatever having a kid and everything is that you became more interested but also better able to talk about things that are not concrete and i i sort of lump that into the philosophy category you know talking about the interior subjective experience of being alive you know regardless Mm. of metaphysics or religion or or any of that so i observe you as having become much more philosophical even if you still aren't religious and even if you don't feel like you have like a firm grip on the psychic dimensions you know
1: I mean, how could you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, some people are psychic. I guess,
1: I guess so.
0: I mean, like I know mm. some people who are psychic who are very pragmatic and down to earth, and like yet they have these dreams or they have these, you know, psycho, psych, whatever, clairvoyant mm-hmm. conversations yeah. and stuff. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: So, you know, how did that? So, I mean, so there was that experience but do you feel like that was that and having a child and sort of aging that those were your main influences?
1: Well, I mean, that those were two, two big influences. You know, I think that another one that has really worked in me over time is being involved in the Gurdjieff work. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a guy who studied all the religions of the world or many of them and kind of came to a, a, a way of thinking about being human. Mm-hmm. And had, came up with teachings to help people live better lives it, it's, it's in a nutshell.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, his basic premise was that most people run around in their day-to-day on autopilot, mm. they're they're kind of not really thinking about each moment and what they're doing, and um, just more reacting to what's going on mm. than having an intentional direction that we're headed. Mm-hmm. And that um, if if we work on ourselves, we can develop capacity for being more. Intentional about our lives mm. and uh, have more choice about how we spend our time and our life energy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the the key aspects of it is meditation and developing a, an awareness of ourselves, mm. um, beginning to be able to see how we operate internally and mm. the way our mind just constantly is going and. What are my emotions? I mean, I didn't used to recognize my emotions.
0: Oh my gosh. I knew
1: anger. That was pretty much all I knew. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Oh
0: God. I have this vivid memory from when I was in school in San Francisco. uh, And I guess this is like 06, 07, 08, somewhere in there. And I'm like talking to you. I'm like somewhere in the city. I think I'm like in the, Fillmore District or something, and you're saying that you're trying to figure out how to understand, know what emotions you're having. And I was like, you are, because <laughs> this wasn't that long ago, yeah. like 15 years ago,
2: maybe
1: 10.
0: <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, do you need the like the grid with the different faces? I did.
1: I did. From AA, yeah, I saw the wheel. Okay. You know? And there's <laughs> depends on who you ask, but there's basically five emotions
0: what oh major emotions.
1: sadness anger joy love and fear mm-hmm. and you know you can say irritation anxiety or irritation but irritation is anger right, right a milder version right you know Anyway.
0: so so how do you how did that go did it how take did you a long time
1: well i think that once i kind of wrap my head around it it didn't take that long to really begin to identify the different ones and mm-hmm. you know
0: this is so classic though i really mean, like, this is like a this is like a male female thing
1: yeah it's it is it's it is and you know our culture doesn't teach us i mean especially men how to recognize our emotions or deal with them. Mm. I mean, you know, how many people do you know who are really adept at dealing with their emotions?
0: Every woman that
1: I know. Well, <laughs> 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 Well, and you know, when no, you I'm don't kidding. know something, you don't, you don't know what you don't know as Vass would say, oh. but, you know, you can't mm. recognize it in somebody else. Like okay. as a man who you know, especially in my earlier years, didn't have any emotional intelligence. I wouldn't recognize it in somebody else. Oh, "Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. No, no.
0: (laughs) 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 But I mean, it wasn't that you didn't have emotions because you were a very like full spectrum human being. You were all, you know, up and down and like all over the not all over the place, but. You know, you were not a flatline
1: person, not
0: having emotions. You just, I never realized that you didn't, weren't aware. I just
1: never processed, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even have enough self-awareness to realize that I was having an emotion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. This is one of those funny things that I think it boils down a little bit sadly to testosterone versus estrogen, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Well,
0: I might be wrong. There
1: may be something to that because you know, now maybe it's a social thing too.
0: Yeah. No. Right. So, what would it be like to have been a boy being and learning emotional intelligence? All the way along like what would that look like that you didn't have like i can't even I'm not even sure
1: i don't know i mean I, I that wasn't my experience i mean
0: you didn't experience anyone teaching you how to manage your feelings is that it manage them
1: no i think you know for <laughs> The way I think about it now, emotional intelligence is the ability to notice that I'm having an emotion, mm. to recognize what it is, mm. and learn what I'm supposed to learn from it. Mm. I mean, it's a tool, mm-hmm. they're an indicator for us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, once I've learned what I can learn from it, let it go. Okay. And not just stay hijacked by it. Because you can get mad right? and then you can stay mad and you can like pile on, fuel your anger and just stay with it. Right. And a lot of people do that. But you can also process it, learn what you need to learn from it, and then let it go and make space for something else. I don't want to stay mad. Mm. I don't love being mad. Okay. I enjoy having joy. Right. (laughs) So uh, why would you want to hang on to it?
0: Well, so my question is, if you recognize that you're mad and maybe why you're mad, does, does letting it go have to include solving the cause of your anger? Or are you able to let go of being mad once you recognize it and go, okay, maybe I will, maybe I won't be able to change the thing that pissed me off.
1: I think you can but let it go.
0: I'm going to let it go for now.
1: You can let it go as soon as you want to let it go. But yeah. I, I guess what I've been taught, and I think it's things that I've read and whatever, um, that it's useful to learn what you can learn from it because it is a, a, a tool.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, fear, for example, you walk up to the edge of a cliff and I mean, you feel it in your body. I know, it right? goes out to it's like. Your adrenaline starts going. You feel it in your fingers. And it's like the fear is telling you danger. Don't walk much further or you will die or whatever, right? (laughs) So there's something to be learned there. And same with any other emotion. There is something to be learned maybe. Mm -hmm. So you can choose to learn from it or you can just let it go. And I don't think there's that you have to do one before the other.
0: See, I think that a lot of people take that feedback loop from emotions and they stop at the point of um, what are the implications for the current reality? They stop there. So it's like either, oh, that looked like a snake and I freaked out and screamed and jumped back. And then I realized it was just a hose and then, oh no it's just a hose and I can calm down or it was a snake and I freaked out and I jumped back and then I ran away because the snake was chasing after me. And that's it. That's the end of the sort of personal inquiry about the fear. Um, But I, I think what maybe what you're saying is that there is also an added step that maybe not with something so like short-term critical as, is there a poisonous snake in my path, but like where you can also, um, Mind that emotion for any, you know, any other additional insight that you might have either about the thing that triggered it or about yourself.
1: I don't know that that's what I'm saying. I mean, no. I, I think in the case you just gave of the snake or the hose, I mean, it's pretty simple, you know, yeah. like your fear came up. And okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, no, no need for fear. Let go. You, you know, um, I don't know what else you do with that. And, All right. you know, and, and I mean, if someone you're driving through traffic and someone cuts you off, mm-hmm. I mean, it'll, it'll make you mad. It might even make you fearful. You need to hit the brakes real quick
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're mad. You know, I don't see doing a whole lot of processing with that. It's pretty simple.
0: Well, or is it actually, well, maybe this is, you know, this is because, because this is the thing, uh, maybe it gives you information that in that case, because you don't normally get pissed off when someone cuts you off, you might, you know, react and be like, Oh, okay. You know, slow down. But like today, unlike other days, you fly into a blind fury of rage. So what's going on?
1: Well, that, you know, that, that like, I mean, you could be what, yeah.
0: what's different about right now, yeah. you know, and then, and then it beca- can become a point of inquiry. And like, you find out, well, actually, you know, my boss just humiliated me at work again and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I've had it. Yeah. I have just had it, you know, and it's, so it's like boiling under the surface Sure. and it comes
1: out. Of- yeah. I could see that.
0: But what, what if all that is new now that you've developed some emotional intelligence? That's what I'm curious about.
1: Oh, I mean, I'm just catching up to everybody else. <laughs>
0: what did I mean? What, what did it used to be? What do you mean? When before you had developed, you know,
1: well, some... it was just, you know, I would notice anger and that was about <laughs> it, you know. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was pretty prehistoric, you know. I feel like I, uh, I had a lot of room for <laughs> development. <laughs> oh,
2: oh, that's funny. It's
1: pretty sad.
2: It's
0: pretty funny, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, we all have our areas of competence, but, uh, you know, cause like if my car breaks down, I'm never going to be able to like, I mean, There's things that I just can't even imagine what to do (laughs) that you probably can just, you know, run through. Try this, try that. You know, you have a a mental toolkit that, because that's what you're, you know, emotional intelligence is a (laughs) tool. Anyway.
1: Yeah. And computers, you would be much more adept at solving a problem than I would. Yes. Yes. You know, when we're we're talking about spirituality and I will say that the thing that's really with me these days Mm. is this question about what it is in the world that sometimes impacts my, my capacity, um, or doesn't you know it
0: like when you feel inspired uh-huh, and capable and you've got forward momentum. things just
1: flow, flow. so uh-huh. i've had a yes. couple of experiences in my life where i feel like i'm either writing something or i'm creating something and i felt like something's kind of working through me and i bring this up partially because it's going on but it's also um well I, you know who elizabeth gilbert is right mm-hmm. so she's one of the most you know successful authors of our time you might say okay i mean she's um
0: she's pretty successful She's
1: pretty successful yeah she was being interviewed by Krista Tippett at one point, And she talked about how her job as a writer is to show up at the desk every day at her typewriter or whatever it is.
2: Yeah.
1: And that she's not doing it herself. Mm. Her job is to show up, mm. but there's something else that happens and it either flows through her that day or it doesn't. Mm. And, you know, this is like, coming from somebody who does this for a living in a big way. Right. Right. So she's kind of talking about something that, that I've experienced my own self. Mm. And, you know, one of the most vivid moments that I can remember is when squid passed away. Mm. And people asked me to create a mannequin of him. They gave me his helmet, his goggles, his gloves, his riding pants, his boots. And his bike. And his bike. And they said, you know, put him in a position where he's, he's hanging the back end out like he used to do when he would race dirt track. Yeah. And um, we need to set this thing up on the stage during his, his funeral ceremony. Yeah. Right. And I didn't have much time. I was busy as hell. I was kind of putting it off. And I remember going down into my shop and and I had all the stuff there and it just came together. Mm -hmm. It just flowed like, you know, I never could have imagined doing it the way I did it. It looked really realistic.
0: It was good.
1: It was so quick. It Mm -hmm. was easy to take apart and put in my truck and then transport to, to Floyd for the event. And um, I really felt like he was there, helping me yeah. make it happen. Yeah.
0: And um, squid <laughs> For people on the audio, I'm just sharing a little picture on the video. good friend squid who's no longer with us.
1: And I don't know I don't know how that works. you know, was I just imagining, the thing and you know uh, um it would have just flowed like maybe i ate a good breakfast and you know i had gotten a good night's sleep and everything in me was just working well that day um didn't feel like that to me Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you know i just don't i guess i'm i'm curious about that at this point in my life
0: Well, so what's you said it's happening now what's is it happening in the context of a project now?
1: No, it's just it, it, it's just something that's been up for me the last few days. Okay, um, you know oh, and, I can
0: I can weigh in heavy on that okay. subject. I yeah. know a lot about it, actually. I don't know everything about it. Disclaimer: <laughs> I'm just somebody. Whatever. No, I uh, I um. I actually had a prolonged experience of that, of being almost captivated by a muse um, when I wrote my, the bulk of my memoir. Mm-hmm. And the way that that experience, I'll, I wanna, I actually, I wanna tell this story. <laughs> um, but I will say before I do that, that I think that it varies for people you know, and and there are writers who's, you know, who would hear Elizabeth Gilbert and say, that's crap. That's, you know, she's, that's the story that she's telling, whatever, whatever, that like writing is, you know, most of it is like putting in the time and staying and writing, even when you aren't feeling inspired, you know, because I mean, what she's talking about is, you know, it's kind of the holy grail for creatives is the muse, you know, when you're feeling inspired, because like when you're feeling inspired, like everything flows and like you create masterpieces or you at least create minor masterpieces and they just seem to come out. And so, you know, there, it's a cliche that artists, can get, um, you know, writer's block or they get blocked creatively, you know, they're like painters or sculptors or whatever musicians and they get blocked, they get blocked. And so they hang around waiting for the muse, you know, and sometimes they can wait for years waiting for to be inspired. And, And then there's this other camp that says you need to just get over it and stop waiting for the muse and get to work. And because you can create a lot of, you can produce a lot of really valuable creative work through perspiration. Um, That said, I have had kind of a lot of experience with this, just kind of flowing in and out of it. And what I've come away from it with is it's kind of, I think it's like surfing. So, you know, Part of surfing is putting in the time and learning your chops, right? Becoming a good swimmer, becoming a strong, you know, strong person in the water, developing the balance, you know, taking wave after wave after wave after wave so that you can, you know, take anything that comes at you and, you know, work with it. But then there's also hunting waves, you know, you know, is the surf up is, you know, that's the constant thing that surfers are always, you know, chasing waves, you know, like, where's the surf, where's the surf? And the perfect ride where the wave is epically beautiful and you catch it and it's like perfect, like that's the peak experience, but a bunch of things have to come together for that. And part of it is the part where you show up. So Elizabeth Gilbert's analogy would be in that metaphor would be, you know, I just, I paddle out every morning and I, and I'm there with my surfboard waiting for a wave to come. So that i can catch it but um you know then there's people who you know say just go and you surf anything okay just surf it surf it you know if it's a bunch of chop and it's whatever you you still surf it and you know one of these days you have that epic moment you know (laughs) um and there's a lot of other opinions so but so my personal experience I, is um, I had left Sedona. I had had these huge experiences. I had been so busy living my life that I hadn't even had time to write a journal, you know, like, you know, John of God, the first time, the first time, not the third time, the scary, creepy time, but the, the first time, the epic time, and even just living in Sedona, you know, living with with John and you know, that whole experience had been so epic that I normally you know, recorded, you know, had, used to keep a journal, but I just hadn't had time. So I, I landed back here. That's a whole different story of why I, I left Sedona, but I decided, I was like, I think I want to write a memoir because, well, first I was like, I want to get caught up. I want to just write it all down. And so I started, I was like, catch up on my journaling and I, and I just like, I didn't like the results that you get with journaling. Cause it just, there's this thing about journaling that feels kind of like, um, I don't know, it's like mental masturbation or something. <laughs> it's very sol- solipsistic, you know, it's very self, like, you know, you, you're doing it to sort of like, I don't know. Anyway, I just, I felt like I needed something with a little more objectivity. And I thought, you know, if I write as if the whole world is going to read it, I will get a little enough distance from the story that I think I can, you know, maybe do it a different kind of justice. So I had made up my mind. I read some books on writing Natalie Goldberg, writing down the bones, you know, Diane was working on her memoir. And I was, so I was like in this period of preparing and, um, you know, it was almost a month long kind of like work gearing up to it and kind of like thinking about it and making the decision shortly before I actually began, I was lying in bed meditating before falling asleep And uh, all of a sudden this like face comes into my meditation and it was like so vivid and clear. (laughs) And it was like this character with like, you know an old fashioned hat and an ostrich feather. And like, he was like grinning at me or smiling at me. And I was like, you know, uh, it, would, it took everything i had to like not like sit bolt upright in bed and like come out of the meditation i was like
2: okay
0: you know and and uh i was like are you going to help me write my memoir and you know and he nodded and you know grinned and i was like wow so and then i fell asleep and then um like a, about a week later i just um You know, I had tried a couple places, starting a couple places and, you know, to cut, I mean, there's more about, about writing that can go in a different conversation, but I found the thread to start with. And it's like, I, the moment I put my pen to the page, it's like this, like torrent opened in me and it, it didn't stop for four months. Wow. And for, for four months, I wrote for like sometimes 14 hours a day. I mean, I was obsessed, but I wasn't, I felt, like, I felt like it was literally like a waterfall, like a river was flowing through me. And there were times when I felt like the words were laid down in my mind and all I was doing was transcribing them as fast as i could i wasn't doing it by hand i started by hand but then i you know i had a laptop and i was typing and i'm a pretty pa- fast typist
2: mm-hmm.
0: but i was like rushing and racing to to keep up with them but it was amazing because as soon as i needed to stop you know it would wait for me
2: <clears throat>
0: and then you know i would you know plunge back into it again and yeah and the experience so it was um The words that I wrote during that time period were so different from any kinds of words I had ever written before. Like it wasn't my normal writing style. It was much more like, like poetic or something. And it was just, and it was strong. It was like the, the, there was like this force behind it. And I never felt like it was really all me. I never did, but I was aware of myself in the midst of it sort of like if you were riding a river it's like I was still making choices I was still I could still go this way or go that way and there would be times when I would have to pause like at a, at a juncture in the narrative and go you know what am I going to do here and then I would choose and and they would start flowing again and and at the end of it I got stuck I didn't know how to finish it. And then, and it, and it really, you know, I, it's still not finished because I, there was a piece of it that had to come from me. And it's like, I had to grow in order to become the person who could write, you know, an ending. And I feel like I'm ready. I just haven't had the time, but anyway, um, I feel like I learned how to write during that period. And now I don't, uh, there, there will be times when I can actually actively like dip my foot into like a current that's always flowing in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and then I, and if I do that, I can immerse myself in that and, and then whatever I'm writing or creating can sort of flow from that source. Um, but That sometimes, you know, I can get sort of, you know, locked up internally in my mind. You know, I can get, if you, if you have too many like blinders in front of you, too many like compromises that you've made or denials or whatever, you can shut down the flow of the sort of the creative flow thing. And I... I I've been able to like work with that and sometimes like, you know, pop the cork back off and like, you know, dive back into it again. And um, so that was one of the reasons why like realizing that I, I can't sit at a computer anymore was sort of so devastating. Cause it's like, you know, I've considered, I became a writer through that process. So this was like 15 years ago that, that, uh, that was like, in 2005, um, that that happened. And,
3: you know, I became a writer through that process. Um,
0: and, and it is for me. So that's how it is for me. Um, like I have some agency, I have some control. Um, it is kind of like, it does feel like, you know, tapping into like a strong flowing spring or an underground river. Like I've found the location and I, I can wander pretty far away from that sometimes. And it has a kind of, it, it needs things from me. Like, I can't just like use
3: it for whatever. Um, But yeah, honesty is required. Like I have to be honest and I have to be
0: kind of fearless. Like it doesn't, um, this is one thing I got from Natalie
3: Goldberg. (laughs) Um, She said, And this is, I
0: think, a good thing for creatives in general, but um, for writing in particular, she said, go for the jugular, go where the juice is, because if you're, you know, if you're, if, if it's juicy and it's, it's scary and it's intense, it's probably got a lot of energy in it and you can trust that that will carry you a long ways. And maybe that was, that was what happened. Maybe I tapped, you know, my own creative fountain because I felt, because I followed that advice, which is, you know, and that's how I opened my memoir is I don't want to start at the beginning, you know? And then I described the scene, the one that, you know, I couldn't let go of. And it was the whole reason I wrote the memoir. And um, you know, maybe that's how you tap into the muse, but. i don't know if any of that is helpful or makes sense but that's uh i have had a very vivid experience of the muse and i think it's real but i also don't think it's so mysterious and out of reach that you have to sit around waiting for it to like strike
1: yeah and i may have been you know not relaying what Elizabeth Gilbert said correctly it's been a long time since I heard her interview
0: well and she went through a whole she's the one who wrote Eat Pray Love right Mm -hmm. she went through an experience that probably opened all of that in her like she had been a writer before that but her whole experience with Eat Pray Love was like you know it was a whole personal odyssey I think towards greater honesty and more aliveness you know she decided to unplug from life as usual and go to rediscover how to eat rediscover how to pray rediscover how to love you know and so maybe her process works for her because she she unlocked it
3: you know? know um but like i don't know so Anyone
0: listening to this already knows that I am a mystic. <laughs> so you have not been a mystic, but I have been a mystic since I was a teenager and one of the things that I that I had I have read a lot is about you know that there are times when higher dimensional beings guides, angels, people, you know, higher consciousness, beings of higher consciousness, they will, and even someone who's, who's passed and on the other side, but still, you know, it's like you have to be supported by the higher powers anyway, that they can step in and, and intervene like in a moment, like with working on the squid, you know stat not statue but mannequin or whatever it was you know it's like all the stars align in that moment but it's like there are it's more than just that it was a beautiful day right
1: there's it felt like something different than usual was going on yeah i don't know how to just yeah. explain it or speak about it any differently than that but.
0: yeah Yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk about it, that's how it feels. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as a devil's advocate, so I always do this. Is it annoying? Probably is. I always like say one thing and then I say the counter argument. (laughs) Ah, You could say the devil's advocate argument could be
3: that that was your love for squid coming together in that moment. You know, yeah, I don't know your your experience of your not your experience your relationship with him i mean it was 20 30 years you know yeah maybe 25 anyway yeah or the love of a lot of people a lot of people loved him yeah. he had a big impact
1: sure did yeah
0: maybe that's what all of this is it's like you know it's like you have a collective there are collective like currents you know in the ocean of being and sometimes they
3: coalesce i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well did i blow your circuits Um you know, I feel like I can
1: speak to the mystery of it that I experience, but that's about all I can do, you know.
0: Well I mean yeah I don't know. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of things about this world that I don't understand. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're just like ants
0: crawling across, you know, a a, a moat. We're a moat of dust on a moat of dust.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, if you were to take a look at our skin under a microscope, you'd see like tons of little creatures rolling around, like eating the dead skin cells. You know, it's like, and then within that, there's like a whole nother world. It's like, you know, I, I'm having these images of like outer space and the galaxy. And, you know, it's like it operates at all these scales, but it's the same kind of thing. It's I just know. Mind blowing complexity.
0: The complexity of like what's just inside your body. It's in me. Didn't it's they? out
1: there. It's, you know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah.
0: So good to focus on the present moment.
1: You know, that says, I, I don't know what I don't know. You know, reading that book that mom put together for me really woke me up to how, how asleep I was, <laughs> you know, for that whole, which the, it covered from age three to about 21. Mm. That whole period, I was just asleep. <laughs> head, head, and <in> knee. <laughs> but,
0: but the hilarious part was that you were pretty sure that you had your shit together.
2: Oh, I point, thought I was all a, the way along the I way. I thought I was
1: a genius. <laughs>
2: Shoot.
3: Uh, all right. I think that's a wrap. All right. Thank you,
0: everybody. We'll catch you next time. So, we have now watched a little bit of today's episode, and Stefan had the brilliant insight that.
1: We were given the sanitizer. I got to speak for myself. I was holding back. I wasn't saying the whole story because. I was being conservative. And um, I think that comes from fear of, I'm not sure what, but uh, we we had the idea that maybe we ought to do take two, the juice. You know, <laughs> and like, really give it a squeeze or whatever. Um, because- You heard
0: it, I'm gonna hold him to it. <laughs> Oh, yeah.